otherwise on SAFM. A very good day to you, Mzansi. Welcome to Otherwise Talking Women on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. My name is Shadow Twala. The show is produced by Hazel Makuzeni, and our technical producer for today is Leander Mafiana. Our contact details are 0892 10 2010, email otherwise at safm.co.za, tweet at otherwise safm, or at Shadow Twala. Anchin Vitten is the author of Change Your Child's Behavior. She joins us to guide us through sensitive issues such as discipline, anger management, and difficult behavior from children. Raquel Reddy is the manager of Child Abuse Treatment and Training Department at Johannesburg's Child Welfare. We ask her whether we're making any progress in fighting child abuse, and if not, what still needs to be done. And, but first, our lunch bite for today, and it's inspired by uh, Mandela Month, and we get inspired by his quotes. And this one I found says, There can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. Otherwise, on SAFM. Change a Child's Behavior is a book written by Anchen Vitten, and she joins me now on the phone. Hello, Anchen. Hello, Shadow. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Was that right? Anshan Vitten. Anshan, yes, that's correct. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome. Why do we need to be writing books about discipline and all of that? With Why has children's behavior become such a big subject? I think perhaps possibly it's a broad answer, um, but possibly I think more and more parents are trying to find answers to help their children. There were a lot of dynamics that we found were common threads when looking and researching into putting the book together. Mm-hmm. And then I think that just generally parents were looking for a central point or a central way of how do I change this, I think, to many of the challenges they were facing on a daily daily life. And um, it actually was what drove putting the book together. I found that there was a split between parents, if I can put it to you as such, of ways that some parents were approaching um, dealing with guiding their children. It's not just about discipline. It's about how we educate, how we direct their behavior, what information we share with them. I come from a communications perspective in the book. Mm. And in terms of helping this behavior and directing that baby's behavior. And the split I found was, if I can summarize it into two words, I've got parents that are the do's parents and I've got parents that are the don'ts parents, where the don'ts parents are focusing on a lot of don't do this, don't do that, but we're never really educating their children mm. as to what is expected from them, guiding them, directing them. And I feel that sometimes parents miss the gap by not being the teachers in their children's lives and directing them. And of course, just... And, I, and they weren't intentionally doing it. They weren't realizing they were doing it. And that once again led to, you know, when you sit and we assess with parents how their interactions are with their children, I give them a, a practical list and I actually ask them to assess all the positive behavior and all the negative behavior that, according to them, their child is portraying. Hmm. And I often found the do parents, I'm sorry, the don't parents, had these long lists of, oh, they don't pack their toys away or they don't listen to me and, mm-hmm. you know, they don't follow bath time routines. I'm just listing some examples. Mm-hmm. 
And then when I ask them to list the positives, they look at me completely amazed. <laughs> what do I mean by the positive? I said, your child is doing positive behavior. There has to be. You're just not seeing it. Stop listening. And I actually push them and I get them to start thinking. And I immediately know that that's a parent that is saying, constantly focusing on the don't and never encouraging and, you know, in a much say, oh, you did that well. And I recognize that and I recognize that. And the child constantly hears all these don'ts and it creates a negative spiral. Mm-hmm. So it also is a demotivator in that child's life because that's what a gene recognized for in terms of his don'ts. So that's a bit of an elaboration. In mm-hmm. Anshan, what happened to the way we grew up? Because I suppose a lot of us use that as reference as how to parent because of how we were brought up and 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 uh we, we we kind of feel safe because of who we are what has changed between the way we were brought up and the way we are bringing up the children today and was it wrong in the first place i, I could never say something would be wrong i think that we all learn from our experiences Mm-hmm. Yes, when we parent our children, that's now an autonomous behavior because that is what we knew and that's how we were parented. Mm-hmm. But I've also found that there's a lot of parents who are saying, I don't want to possibly parent my child. I, I learned from that. I find we're becoming wiser. Uh, we're becoming more emotionally aware. Uh, we are more aware of the emotions of our children, and I think there's a lot of pressure on children mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. perhaps more pressure today than when we were growing up. Um, and I think those dynamics is what's causing these changes and where parents are saying, I'm looking for different answers. I need to do this differently because they're facing different challenges. And what's the common age uh, to, I suppose, when a child is born, you need to have this book, for instance, so that you can have better communication with your child from day one. But what is the critical age when you really need to watch what you're saying to the child and how you, you're treating them, uh, especially because now there's uh, a possibility of a third parent being the teacher at school. Yes. I find also that although this book has been written from a parenting perspective, it does cover and bridge teaching perspectives as well because children do need to move into environments that are similar. And mm. then I think, can say in many ways, I think the schools are in, to a degree in some way, um, in some of the schools that I've seen perhaps following more of the principles in education models in terms of how they're treating the class dynamic. And then I find sometimes it's not always following through to the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the type of differences. In terms of the book, the book is aimed at um, children in their formative years where parents can apply these methods that we discuss and this holistic approach of looking at it. Mm-hmm. from around the age of three, just before three, because really before that, you know, they're they baby. It's you are nurturing, you're following the nurturing role. Mm-hmm. And it's from three where they start to, to show the behavior where you need to start directing. And, and they, they're really just exploring their world, but it's so vital for you to actually direct that behavior in those formative years because this is what leads to being self-confident, to later on being... Um, a responsible young teenager and all these dynamics. And I find that that behavioral change, if you are dealing with challenges, is best effective in those formative years because that's when you can shake it and form it. By the time they reach their teens, 
generally the personality is formed. But if you follow these principles, and we've seen it over and over again with the parents who are doing all the do's, discipline tends to fall away in the teenage years. Mm-hmm. Because you've embedded that responsibility and they become self-regulating. And that's what you're aiming to strive for later on. But you also don't want to suppress the child's personality by being too structured in their upbringing. So how do you, yeah, how do you, how do you make room for that? Because you need to recognize, uh, that it's, it's in, it's in their personality or it's in their person to do the things they do without putting too much structure, but, and also not losing, um, losing control, if, if I may. That's correct. There's a fine balance between that structure, routine and structure, um, and not being so rigid that you're in, I want to almost say, a militaristic scenario because that you're not wanting to do because then you would stifle all that natural development and mm-hmm. growth. But the routine and structure and those routine, certain structured frameworks also give a child security. So it's it's a fine balance between, and it's, the book highlights that as well, You don't want to stifle things. For example, let's work on an example. You know when a young child is playing and it comes to bath time, you're not going to be the militaristic soldier, but there's definitely a way to saying you want to start putting in the routine without saying, look, we've got to start moving to bath time. And we generally count the kids down, I say this. Mm -hmm. You know, give them a countdown, one, two, three. And then they start knowing they've got to start moving along because this is a general challenge I pick up with parents. Mm Their children are just enjoying playing. And then comes the supper time, and you've got this whole routine that they're trying to establish with their children. And I said, just change it. Give them their calm time, and then we change it into to a race. Let's race to the bathroom on one, two, three. And we literally play them into it more. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that balance between that the routine boundary without being over-rigid and enforcing to such a harsh degree. So that's the balance that I say, let's play it in and bring them up into that. And it works very well. Except for some, some kids that are clever, hey, they try to push the envelope. They, they, they get to understand the trick. And they think, oh, okay, I know what's going on here. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something different. And that's when you, you, you need to, I suppose, change the game when they understand it well and know what it means and find before they find ways around it, right? Um, yes, but um, I haven't elaborated to its fullest. I mean, the, the book also highlights further techniques and tools that we actually do mm. take it one step further um, to get them to, to, to the end goal. And that's where certain techniques in, that children buy into, if I can put that in inverted commas, mm-hmm. where the children work in combination with process to the parents to effect that change and to get them to avoid the situation that you've just described to me now mm. so that they actually do get motivated towards it. And the book takes them through all the techniques that they can actually apply to do that. <laughs> it, it, it sounds very, very interesting. And I, I'm, 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 I'm going to encourage most moms to, to, to get this book because it's, it's, it's laid out very beautifully. It, it, can you just give us a, a walk through how one should use the book when they get it? Um, how the book was set up, it was meant, and the intention was for it to be a self-help guide. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it has some analytical tools or instruments in the beginning of the actual book that will take them through to help them assess the situation that they are wanting to change. Um, and it helps them to document that in the book. Now, the book is fortunately not a very big book or a very thick book to work through. We try to keep it short mm-hmm. enough to get convey all the information so that it's a quick read, mm-hmm. at the same time conveying that, what, that which needed to be said. Now, once I've got the assessment tools that we describe in the particular book, we say, okay, you've highlighted the behavior, and we look at this one thing, the aspects of the positive and the negative behavior once again. And then what we do is we, we the book highlights what discipline is and what it is not, and I won't go into the greatest of detail with that now because the book discusses discusses it with a lot of motivational reasons for the type of discipline Mm -hmm. that it supports. Um, And then it takes the parent through and it says them how to structure these specific frameworks or techniques that I was trying to describe earlier to put together. And they actually start building these techniques with their child so that they form a little team, parent and child, mm. in terms of trying to effect this change in their behavior. And there's a lot of motivational tools in there for all the kids, and they actually become little motivated individuals. I've seen that over and over again because they naturally want to achieve. Um, Anton, do stay on the line for me, please. We're taking a little break, and we'll come back and talk some more. Thanks, Shadow. Thank you. Otherwise, on SAFM. My guest is Anton Witten, who's the author of Change a Child's Behavior, a self-help guide for parents of young children who are experiencing behavioral difficulties. I must say, the cover on your book, Anton, is is a great picture of the kind of child we're portraying. (laughs) The picture says it all. I know, I know. You you have no, you know, you're not confused at picking up the book when you see the child and what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well well done. And who's this child? Is this one of yours? No, not at all. Uh, but she's gorgeous, though. So. <laughs> no, she, she looks absolutely angry at mom or somebody. <laughs> so uh, you, before we took the break, Anton, we, we, we started talking about how to use the book. But I wonder then, um, we've been talking about a parent. Do both parents, because both of them would have to be consistent in the do's and the support for the child and not work against each other. So it is important for both parents to share reading this book? Yes, it is, and you're raising a very, very important point. When I sit with parents, I often find that one of the key dynamics is that they are not on the same page, Mm -hmm. and they're following certain techniques differently with their children, and it also creates confusion for Mm -hmm. the child. Mm -hmm. Um, Because... And then it leads to other dynamics as well. So one of the big things is when we do these lists and we do these analytical tools, we actually do ask that the parents do it jointly, that they are the same message gets given to the child by the time they implement it. And that happens very successfully. Um, you'll find in the book we actually give the parents, I suggest, around a two-week analytical phase where they're just monitoring their own child's behavior and the way the book describes how they must document it, and then for them to actually sit and jointly define what are the outcomes that they would like to achieve for their child in terms of 
what they have ex- as expectations as parents in terms of their child's behavior. Mm-hmm. And of course, you're always on hand to assist parents as well and walk them through. And I'm not too sure how many parents you can deal with in, you know, in, after, after this book or during, because I, I want to believe that a lot of people may want to be in touch with you and talk to you and, and hopefully have you come through to, to help them deal with their situation. Absolutely. I enjoy helping parents. I've been doing a, a lot of work around that. Mm-hmm. I had parents even contribute to my book. They're welcome to contact me if they either use the book title, they will get to my website, mm-hmm. or just my first name and my surname. Mm-hmm. I'm Vitune, but I'd have to spell that. No, Vitune is difficult. I mean, I was with him at some point. I thought, oh, <laughs> Miss Vitun um, is going to talk to us. So, or they can use it, the book title, Change Your Child's Behavior Without the Apostrophe mm-hmm. in the S, and they will get to the domain, and they will get to my website. Um, or they can just use the surname Vitune. I've got that as well, T. H-U-H-N for November, mm-hmm. Okay, but they will get to my website and then there's contact details there. They can submit information from there. And do you run workshops and those kinds of things? At the moment, if we run workshops, there will be workshops centered around the book and then they can get in touch with my publisher, Jean Fryer, at Penguin Random House mm-hmm. and they can set up the request for workshops through her. Alternatively, if they wanted to do it through my website, I can. I will pass it on to Jean, mm. and they can set up workshops that way. Yeah, because I'm, I'm, I can imagine as, as soon as parents have gotten the book and they've got it down to a T, again, I bring up the third parent who is at school as the teacher. Um, how do you suggest that conversation happens between parents and the teacher to make sure that uh, the, the, the you know the, the support is still there for the child at school. Absolutely, um, you know generally if the parent is experiencing his behavior dynamics, there's a good chance that the teacher has also spotted it in the classroom. So that's step one. Um, my suggestion is that the parents then say they're busy doing this program and they're implementing this program at home, mm-hmm. and they actually discuss the program with their teacher child's teacher to say to them what are the possible dynamics from moving from the one environment from for example home environment to school that they would like to see that could hopefully be the same or that could be possibly creating conflict and actually have that discussion with her and try and find a mediated solution that would be a one situation for their child. So Anton, I want to know, does your, will your book help us change our society if we use it? Are we hoping this, the future communities and society may be uh, more, more, more um, Ubuntu-type children uh, by the time we've used your book? And so many parents that are actually applying the techniques already, yes, I want to say a big yes to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that Parents want to affect that change, but they just didn't know how. And once they start working through these techniques as a holistic technique, they say, oh, but it was actually so simple. It wasn't so complex after all. Mm-hmm. And that was really what it was all about, um, was just to put that final puzzle piece together for them to say that this is how you do that. And, yes, in the ideal world, that would be the absolute 
then I've achieved something as well. Yeah, yeah, we want a, we want better communities and a better society, and it all Absolutely. starts with the way we 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 bring up our children, um, and 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 make sure that they can live side by side in the future. You know, without being angry and and um, yeah, anger, which is, is, is and next generation parents. That's what you're creating. So it will perhaps change some of these cycles that we had started discussing at the beginning of the program of that autonomous behavior that we had and experienced when we were younger. Yes. And yes. possibly those changes now that are, would hopefully flow through. Now, in your book for discipline, and I know we're coming to the end of the interview, but and you, we didn't want to go into discipline, but there's one way that that most parents use to discipline, and that's that's to punish their children by maybe even hitting them. Um, is 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 that is that an alternative, or is that a no no? Cut it out completely. I come from the standpoint that you need to cut it out completely. Mm. Um, I find there's a lot of parents absolutely changing the dynamics and understanding why. My book also motivates the reasons, and I can discuss those, you know, we we're coming to the end of the interview. But, mm. um, it provides alternative techniques, and there's reasons for not using corporal punishment. Mm. Um, there's a lot of movement moving towards that. But, yes, we're saying that you do need tools, but we give you other tools and alternative tools. You do need reprimands but just not of a physical form. Mm. There's a lot of research coming out, and I can encourage parents to actually just Google it, and if that is something I could just convey convey in this discussion. There's a lot of medical research, and the legal aspects are one aspect that people have always been looking at, of changing corporal punishment and, Mm. and those dynamics, but there's a lot of new medical research coming out that's been coming out over the last few years of the actual medical impacts that corporal punishment can have on children. And I think if parents, if I could just encourage them to go and Google PubMed and the effect of corporal punishment on the HPA access of a child. Okay, what, what's it called? What are we Googling? We, if you Google, go onto a medical website called PubMed, P-U-B-N-E-D. Sorry, I think I'm not sure of the domain, but if they Google PubMed, they would find it. It's a medical website, mm-hmm. and there's lots of research that's been posted on there from all dynamics. And then once you're on that website of PubMed, search for research on the effects of corporal punishment mm-hmm. on the HPA access in a developing child. HPA access in a developing child, yes, okay. the hypothalamus, and adrenal access on a developing child. And actually the research that's coming out is starting to show that we are creating stress and fear in children through corporal punishment. And this has a hormonal effect through the adrenal glands. Oh, wow. And Yes, and that can permanently alter and change your HPA access development in a young developing child. Okay, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to ask you to hold on. Um, we're taking okay. news headlines, and we can finish up with this with this research, which is very interesting. So I want us to get back. So please stay on the line. It is time for news headlines now with Sir Utsile Sako. Otherwise, on SAFM. We're winding down with Anchin Vitten, who's the author of Change a Child's Behavior. We're talking about that research that you'll find if you Google PubMed uh, and uh, HPA access in developing access. What did you say? HPA access in developing children? If you then research on PubMed, the effects of corporal punishment mm-hmm. on the HPA access in young children. Okay. 
and young children. Fantastic. Well, what, what I want to do is hopefully we'll invite you again when I've looked at it as well. And maybe that's what we talk about, just discipline and other, other tools that you have, which you have in your book, by the way. But I'd like us to look at this research and see if we can talk more about it. But thank you so much for your time. And thank you for the opportunity. And, and, and good luck with the book, and I, I, I hope uh, uh, lots of parents use it for, so that we create better societies. Thank you so much. You take care now. And Chen Vitten, and Vitten is W-I-T-T-H-U-H-N, if you're going to Google uh, her, her name. But Change Your Child's Behavior should take you to her website. And uh, then go and visit PubMed if you want to know uh, how damaging corporal punishment is to a young child. Um, Talking about child abuse is what we're going to do in a few minutes because we want to find out if anything has been done uh, with regards to any progress in fighting child abuse, and if not, what still needs to be done. And we ask um, Raquel Reddy, who's the Manager of Child Abuse Treatment and Training Department at Johannesburg Child Welfare. She joins me after this. Otherwise, on SAFM. Raquel Reddy joins us now, and welcome to you. Is it Raquel? Raquel? Yes, it's Raquel Shadow. Raquel, as in Raquel Welsh. That's correct. (laughs) 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 I suppose your parents liked Raquel Welsh. Particularly my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, we don't blame him, do we? (laughs) Most men would. Welcome, Raquel. Thank you so much for joining us. Are we, sure. are we making any progress as far as child abuse is concerned in the country? Um, Shadow, I think to answer that question, you know, uh, we have to look at maybe the stats that we see today with a child being sexually abused one every three minutes. Um, those mm. are very serious stats, very concerning. Uh, in terms of the progress, I think, yes, we are. Um, the fact that we have good wholesome programs put into place to help children in such situations um, is, is quite evident of the fact that we are making progress. My goodness, one in every three minutes? Roughly, yes. Um, that, that is quite scary, isn't it? It is. I mean, <laughs> what programs are there that can at least cut that to zero every three minutes? Well, the good news is that we, you know, at Child Welfare Joburg, we we focus on a lot of preventative programs, which a lot of organizations in the community are doing right now. So instead of being, um, instead of, you know, acting when a child is being sexually abused, we rather do preventative work in the community to ensure that children actually learn how to keep safe. Mm -hmm. Um, So our focus is teaching children how to protect themselves, how to identify high-risk situations, and how to act if they are hurt in any situations. Mm. Is sexual abuse the, the, the kind of highest of, of, of abuse that is... is, is um, I think, unfortunately, Shadow, in, you know, today in South Africa, um, due to a variety of reasons, it's physical um, neglect as well as sexual abuse. So we mm. do see, um, you know, a, a, a range of abuse cases that come in, and not only just sexual. It could be a child that's been abandoned, mm. a child that's been neglected. Um, so there is definitely a variety in terms of the abuse cases that come in. And are the victims a, a particular age group? Uh, I suppose I want to know which age group is more, is more affected than, uh, than others. 
how babies are quite vulnerable. Mm. I think that a baby's abandoned at birth is definitely a huge issue that South Africa is still dealing with. Uh, Mums who are unable to care for their babies um, after giving birth because of financial reasons, because of poverty. Um, so we do see a lot of abandoned babies. And unfortunately, a lot of our women um, who are disempowered often abandon their babies in, in you know, less than desirable places and placing the kids or their babies at risk. Mm-hmm. And very often when they come to us, they come to us in a very neglected state. Um, we do see a lot of that. So I'm feeling so overwhelmed at the moment with all this information. So uh, what, what do we need to do? I mean, what can we as South Africans do? to assist uh, the work that you are doing, because I suppose we witness this in, 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 in our communities, and, yet, and, and we, we, we probably don't, we, we can't identify the pain or the suffering that this woman is going through, and yet yes. we're there and possibly we can help. Before it even gets to you or gets to the point of abandonment, I suppose I want, to, I want, us, all to, I want us all to get involved. And and, try and and help you do your work. I think you know. I think you've touched on a very important point in that communities actually so pivotal when it comes to alleviating child abuse. I think if if as a community we can mobilise ourselves to think that it's not just about our children, it's, mm. but it's about the community as a whole, and looking looking at it as if my child is your child kind of mm. kind of approach. If you know, we've been trying to build and empower communities to take care of each other, um, where a mother doesn't just look after her own child, but takes some level of responsibility about the neighbor's child or the, the, the child across the road, where if a community member sees a child and feels that the child is in need of care, can actually take that step to reach out to that parent mm. or to report in some instances, to child welfare when they feel that a child is being neglected Mm. um, in in any way. Um, We have programs in the community where we teach, um, or we call them the eyes of the community. We teach women to identify children that may be more vulnerable and, you know, reach out to child welfare or reach out to that particular parent and work with that parent. So it's all about empowering the community to look after its own children which I think is the way that South Africa needs to adopt and go because at the end of the day, nobody else will look after your child if not your community. You know, earlier on I used the word Ubuntu and I think I must remind us about Ubuntu and the true meaning of it. It's it's, I am what I am because of who we all are. Exactly. You know, compassion, kindness, humanity. Those are the things that connect us together because we we share ourselves with others and caring for those around us. Now, how, how do we actively act out Ubuntu? Because that's really what we're talking about here. Uh, definitely. I think, you know, to get involved, I think, unfortunately, today's shadow in communities in the suburban areas, there's not much of community feel. And the ways that we can get involved with the communities, maybe through our schools, maybe through our churches, is to get involved with um, child initiatives in the community, because there's always something happening somewhere that links children and parents and the community together. So to, to actually make that decision to say, I want to be involved, um, 
you know, it's a first step. So maybe through the school, through the church, um, and other initiatives, um, to just have that mindset where you want to help. Mm-hmm. So when you receive these kids, Raquel, uh, what happens to them? Um, because, of course, we're dealing with psychological damage, physical abuse already is, is, is not a good thing for a little baby to go through. And how? what happens to the children? What sort of treatment? What's, what's their journey from entering your, your, your uh, department? We try and make it as, as you know, as, we, we try and take away the stress factor as much as possible. But unfortunately, when a child comes to us, there is a high level of trauma already that's in place. Mm-hmm. So when the child comes through to us uh, via one of our social workers or an intake social worker, um, firstly, we try and contain the child. If it's, a, you know, our children range between 0 and 12 years. You know, that's our intake policy. Mm-hmm. So we try and contain the child. Um, you might think that a baby might not display traumatic symptoms, but you'd be surprised at how, um, you know, how, how these little babies actually function and how they experience trauma mm-hmm. in themselves. So we see it across the age range where there's lots of trauma. And then um, following which we would investigate, allegations of abandonment or the allegations of abuse and if we find that that child is definitely a child in need of care we would have to go through a statutory process that involves the children's court Mm -hmm. that involves going in front of a commissioner and and stating our case and the commissioner then making a recommendation together with the social worker so then we would decide from there where this child would best be placed would this child go to a foster parent would this child go to a children's home or be placed um, elsewhere is then a decision that the social worker and the, and the commissioner make together. Mm. The child is then placed and we try in all cases to render reconstruction services to the biological parent if the parent is available and willing. And then we, we walk with that child. And sometimes our children are with us from babies to 18 or even older. Um, so, you know, we walk with that child through, through their life experiences mm. um, and often when the child is 18 or 21, we see them discharged. We try and, and give them some extra support in terms of tertiary education. Mm-hmm. And, and we hope that they develop into as healthy human beings as possible. Mm. What, you know, you mentioned social workers and when, yes. I, when I grew up, which is a very long time ago. <laughs> but we had social workers come into our communities all the time. Um, and I don't, I don't know if that still happens. Do we have enough social workers, and why are they not visible at, in communities as we used to have them? Okay, I think you know it's interesting because social work is considered in South Africa as a scarce skill, which means there's not not enough of social workers mm. um, that South Africa actually has, I and mean, the government did try and change that by giving bursaries to a large number of students, you know, to try and counterbalance. Um, the shortfall in terms of numbers. Um, I definitely think there's still a great need for for a great number of social workers to be trained. Mm -hmm. I think we are visible in the community um, because our services are very often decentralized. Mm -hmm. So we would work from the community, such as Soweto or Orange Farm or any one of the other communities. Um, But I still think there is a great need for more social workers to be Mm -hmm. trained. And I think, unfortunately, Shadow, we really often see social workers only (laughs) when there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we don't Mm -hmm. don't necessarily see them, you know, um, um, at the school giving talks, maybe not enough. 
So, um, you know, there, there's definitely a shortfall, but we are out there, and you can find us in the community through your church or through your school or through um, satellite offices. Mm-hmm. I suppose there needs to be something that, how, how do you identify a social worker? Maybe there has to be some kind of, not uniform, but some, some kind of identification, if they wear a band or something, then we know <laughs> social workers were there and they, they were there to help us. But on, lastly, I want to know, what happens to the aggressors, uh, the, the, yeah, the abusers? Yeah. I mean, does anyone follow up on them Do we, when we have found them? I suppose they get arrested, but what happens? You know, I think, I think again, that's an interesting question. As, as the manager of the sexual abuse unit, we have an, a program for offenders. Mm-hmm. So um, offender would, would then say, look, I, I have committed a crime. I need help. Mm-hmm. And the court, and, and, and Shadow, I don't know if you're aware, but it's, it's, we struggle to get convictions in terms of sexual abuse cases. Mm-hmm. Um, very often because of, you know, botched evidence or um, the testimony of a little child being torn apart by, mm-hmm. a, a, in, by a lawyer in court. Um, and, you know, very often we find that the offender is set free um, but with the condition that they might attend a program um, at CATS, for example. And we have a program where we deal with offenders, where we try and help them develop empathy for the client, where we try and help them develop, um, you know, insight into their own behavior. And we walk with them, we see it through, and it's something that, that, that they might never, ever a master in terms of a complete recovery, mm-hmm. but it's something better than nothing. Um, and then it brings up the question, can they be rehabilitated? Mm-hmm. So, you know, unfortunately in South Africa, the conviction rate for offenders is very low, um, and for physical abuse as well, and neglect, but there is definitely a criminal case that, it, that is open when a child has been sexually abused. It's just about the conviction rate. When a child is physically abused, the same procedure applies. A criminal case is opened, um, and it would then be up to the court to determine whether a sentence is um, imposed or a fine or what sort of se- sentencing. Raquel, I still want to do something. What can I do? What can we do? I mean, it, it's, it's unacceptable. The status quo is, is, is not acceptable. So what do we do? Uh, and, uh, to help again, I ask you, you know, apart from, you know, being more aware in communities, but yeah. You know, what can we do? I think maybe just to appreciate the vulnerability of some children and to maybe be part of programs that can uplift these children in, in communities that are, that, that struggle, such as your, you know, the, where poverty exists. I mean, there's such good programs in some of our areas, such as, um, Soweto, but then we have a shortage of programs in areas like Orange Farms. So, I mean, if, if, um, something in your position, Shadow, would be great in terms of driving, um, programs or creating awareness in in areas where there's a need. But I think for the average person to get involved, I think firstly just to develop a conscious awareness of there is a problem in the community. Let me try and see what I can do in the school because schools are very often uh, a port of call for social workers to carry out programs, preventative programs. So definitely Mm -hmm. to try and get into the school and be part of those programs. I think that's definitely a stepping stone. Um, 
Yeah. And just being the eye, eyes in the community as well. Give us details of, of, you know, maybe your website so that we can see the, sure. the, the, the programs that exist. And, and I suppose the, those will help direct us. Sure. Um, you could actually uh, Google us, and we are Joburg Child Welfare. Mm-hmm. And on our site, you'd find a lot of um, events that are happening if you do want to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get involved with um, a variety of programs. Mm-hmm. We also have training programs that we offer to the public or to schools or teachers that involves how to deal with sexual abuse, how to deal with disclosure. Uh, when a child discloses um, sexual abuse, uh, how to deal with children who abuse other children, um, assessment. So mm-hmm. we've got a, a, a very good training program. Okay. Um, okay. You know, if you're a lay person in the community that wants to learn, okay. we have these programs in place. Raquel, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us, and we'll be in touch. Um, you know, we should continue these conversations and talk about it as much as possible. You're very welcome. Thank Hello. you for your time. Okay. Bye-bye. 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 Raquel Reddy, and she's at Johannesburg, or Joburg Child Welfare. Google them. Be part of the solution. It is now time for our children's story, Nalibali.